0: Hello, and welcome to my time capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens with another episode of the podcast where people talk to me about the five things from their life that they'd like to preserve in a time capsule, four things they cherish and one they rather regret and would like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest choosing some things for their time capsule in this episode is the Scottish stand-up comedian Fred McCauley. Having presented very funny and eventful Macaulay & Co. on BBC Radio Scotland for almost 18 years, and with a string of TV appearances, Fred's easy-going manner is born of years of experience on the live circuit, including a stint as the first-ever Scottish compare at the Comedy Store in London. Fred has been a regular at the Edinburgh Fringe since the early 1990s and at comedy festivals worldwide. Appearances on many Radio 4 comedy panel shows, including I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, Just a Minute, The Unbelievable Truth, and The News Quiz, of course, have guaranteed an audience for Fred's live stand up tours. He hosted the talk show McCoist and Macaulay and presented Life According to Fred, Hoots, Simply Fred and Scots on the Box, as well as the 2014 On the Road magazine programme with Martel Maxwell, all for BBC Scotland. And on the National BBC, he's been a panellist on shows including Mock the Week, QI and Have I Got News For You. He lasted seven out of 11 nights when he sang on Comic Relief Does Fame Academy, and further charity challenges saw him kayak the Caledonian Canal for sports relief in temperatures as low as minus 18 degrees Celsius, and in 2011, he scaled Mount Kilimanjaro. He received an honorary doctorate from the University of Dundee, his alma mater, in 2006, in appreciation of his time there as rector. So, let's hear what Dr. Fred is going to choose to put into his time capsule. Hope you enjoy
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> but we, like everybody else in the world, have a, a, a family Zoom yeah. uh, with my side of the family on a... A Sunday and Aileen's side of the family on the Monday and Aileen's mum bless her is still with us at 91 brilliant and um, she, she gets talked through how to get onto Zoom every Monday for the last 15 weeks and yeah. then uh, she says but I can only see one person <sighs> oh well if you touch the screen Gran you'll see a, a grid thing oh yes I see that now <laughs> <laughs> oh there you all are
0: <laughs> my mother-in-law is with us and we got her an iPad And uh, she kept saying, as a man keeps talking to me in my room. (laughs) And uh, we explained to her that it was
1: Siri. Oh, man, that's brilliant. Did you see somebody online the other day? Sorry, we we should really get on with the business. It's all right. Somebody the other day who couldn't get their Alexa to turn Times Radio off. (laughs) No. (laughs) Stop playing that. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) Stop it! I've got a sledgehammer, <laughs> yeah. Alexa. We've been through this before, um, but yeah. And our, my first bit of technology through Google, um, we've we've got Google Home Hub. Hmm. Jack, our middle kid, bought us Google Home Hub and uh, Philips smart bulbs uh, for Christmas right. a couple of years ago. You know, so you're just going to say, "Hey Google, lights on." And it's as simple as that, except it's not because uh, he set it up through his phone. So there have been times, Mike, at quarter to midnight, when I've had to phone Jack and ask him to put the living room lights off. <laughs> Perfect present. <laughs> He's in Edinburgh, we're in Glasgow. Put the
0: fucking lights off.
1: <laughs> How to keep in touch with your children? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I
0: know. Yeah, I'm doing this podcast with my son. So we see each other uh-huh. sort of at a distance, but it, it means that right. I'm constantly phoning him saying, how do I make this thing public on Facebook? How do I do this? Mm -hmm. I have no idea at all, and Uh, I can't do any of it, you know, so I've absolutely drilled myself in how to set myself up for a recording, (laughs) and I would say one in five go well.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, uh, am I the fifth?
0: (laughs) You're you're number five, you're there. (laughs) I like the odds. Good, all right, so we should do it. Yeah. Basically, it's five little things from your life that are not significant to other people, but For you, they evoke a memory and then one which you sort of don't like. That's it. Yeah. Simple. So what's your first thing, Fred?
1: Well, I've got to say, Mike, there there are varying shapes and sizes and I don't know how big the capsule is going to be, but the first thing I wanted to put in was uh, the Comedy Store logo, Uh which, uh, apart from being the Comedy Store logo, is also the backdrop of the stage at the Comedy Store in London. Yeah. And it was such a significant part of my life. And, you know, over a 30-plus year career, mm. you know, I still describe myself first and foremost as a stand-up, you know, albeit I did a, a stint on radio for 18 years up here in Scotland, but I would always still want to be considered a, as a stand-up comedian. And the comedy store was the place that I wanted to play when I first started doing stand-up. Mm. It was a place that I was blessed to to play uh, over a number of years. and And, you know lockdown uh, for buy, uh, I I still, you know, I've got a booking in my diary <laughs> for the comedy store. Uh, so I'm hopeful that I will get back in there at some point yeah. in the future again. We all are. Yeah. At least
0: you don't think of yourself then as an accountant. No. Although,
1: you know, I still get interviews where people say, so you were an accountant, you became a comedian. How did that happen? And I say, well, let me tell you, I was shit as an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> it was no square peg in a round hole yeah let me show you the spreadsheet <laughs> yeah yes yes uh no the fact was that i i did carve out for myself a, a career yeah uh crunching numbers and then i became company secretary of a of a retail group and it was you know it was a bloody good job mm-hmm. but uh, i knew it wasn't for me i always wanted to to do something a wee bit more exciting uh, with my life and i I I could remember having been still at university, uh, where I studied accountancy. So, uh, but that was really just a process of elimination. I studied accountancy because I thought it might get me a job. Yeah. I mean, that was the, that was the mid seventies when, you know, when financial crises were still a kind of novelty. (laughs) <laughs> They're not the norm that they have now become. No, thank God you got out of it. <laughs> so, uh, and it was a significant birthday. It was my thirtieth birthday that uh, kind of I realised that I'd suddenly a decade had gone past. Yeah, and I still wasn't. I still wasn't um, on people's televisions. Mm. So, uh, I decided to try and make a go of it and, <laughs> back in those days. Um, Yeah, how did you do it
0: back in those days? How? Because there just wasn't the circuit then, was there?
1: There wasn't, no. And, Mike, you'll remember, I mean, uh, when even when I started doing the fringe which was late 80s 89 yeah. was my first fringe the fringe brochure was a pamphlet and it was a tiny thing yes. <laughs> and now it's a, you know and th- these are two words that an awful lot of people won't have a clue what we're talking about it was like a phone directory
0: <laughs> remember them? No I don't know. I've no idea what you're talking about I'm only 35
1: <laughs> yes uh, phone directories were, were what kicked off paper recycling yeah <laughs> they still do <laughs> yeah so no, but you're right, there was no route, and the, the people that were on TV were, you know, very mainstream, and I, and I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do, but bless them, the the Edinburgh Fringe kicked a thing off called, uh, and Karen Corn at the Gilded Balloon especially, mm. kicked off the So You Think You're Funny competition, which runs to this day. Yeah. And Glasgow, being a rival city to Edinburgh, used to have an arts festival called Mayfest. Mm-hmm. And Mayfest was an extraordinary arts festival. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story about Mayfest's philosophy in a wee minute. Mm-hmm. But they also ran a So You Think You're Funny competition. and So you think you're funnier than Edinburgh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, one of my... He's sadly no longer with us. Uh, a late friend, Kenny Harris, said that the Glasgow equivalent was called, so you think you're funny? Well, you fucking arnie." <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Barry Cryer
0: who told me a story about a bloke at the Glasgow Empire playing Hamlet, where he, he said, uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, and his voice said, hey, that'll be Friday. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I got a call from Barry last week Did you? He phoned me up and he said uh, and it was a message a voice message I phoned him back the next day because he said Fred, uh, voice from the past it's Baz um, you're on Room 101 tonight (laughs) on Dave and I phoned him back and I said Barry I, I never recorded Room 101 <laughs> I think mean, it's maybe one of the things that somebody put in Room 101 he said oh no no he said it, it, it must have been a QI then it was a QI oh bless <laughs> so, you. I actually thought about putting Barry in the time capsule oh. but he, he seems to be in one anyway yeah I think you're right he's
0: preserved I know that so anyway <laughs> yeah, sorry you yeah. were talking about so, Glasgow yeah. Mayfest
1: so um, they, they did the so. you think it's funny uh, and you had to submit original material to one Simon Fanshawe I know Simon Fanshawe yeah so I submitted my few minutes of uh, original material and Simon called me up at work and said we like your stuff and you're on on the 19th of May uh, in the heat right (laughs) so that was that was uh, terrifying yeah and uh, it was another guy that you would know very well uh, Pete McCarthy Mm -hmm. who compared the gig ah bless him um Yep, and uh, (laughs) naively, you know, I I did my five minutes and I think there was maybe eight or nine comics and uh, I thought, well, I I really enjoyed that, I'll I'll hang around and just pick up the trophy and make a few (laughs) comments. (laughs) 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 Of course, uh, the the top three went through to the final. I I had to sneak out of the room embarrassed Mm. that I, I didn't even make the top three, but... A lot of Scottish comics made their debut at that at that thing. Um, (laughs) And
0: they were better than you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Each and every one of them. But I knew it it was one of those nights that really did change my life because I I could not wait to get back on stage again. And you know one of the things about it, Mike, was just physically holding a microphone Mm. because I thought that defined me as a comedian. That was that was something that I had done that nobody else in my circle of friends or relations had ever done was hold a microphone yeah. uh, and I thought that 's one step of me on my way to becoming a, a comic mm. obviously, I, I learned that I needed material as well, <laughs> <laughs> but that was later on yeah,
0: well the thing I always admire about stand up comedians and i've i 've tried it once or twice, not very successfully on my own. Uh, And I still actually have an ambition to have a go one day, because I know it would terrify me. And actually, that sort of slightly excites me. It's the fear that makes me want to do it. But I've always admired stand-up comedians because, in fact, they really embrace that fear. Uh, And in fact, you talk to stand-up comedians, and they often say, Oh, I did this gig where, God, I absolutely died. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they relish
1: it. Because we've recovered from it. Yeah, yeah, I made it through. Yeah, And learned from it, I suppose, you know. Uh huh. But you wouldn't have that conversation with them at 20 past 11 the night it happened. No. No. As they're sobbing in a corner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, the excitement and the fear thing it is... I mean, I would urge you to do it because that is the one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that if it works, there is mm. honestly no better feeling in the world I mean it's an incredible buzz to get and it's you know it's almost like we, we keep that as a secret to ourselves yeah um, and obviously I'm helping do that by doing your podcast
0: <laughs> thanks very much
1: <laughs> <laughs> but the excitement and fear I mean that that reared its ugly head a few years ago when somebody in America came up with an idea called setlist. Now, you and I have got friends who work in improvised comedy and they're geniuses at it. Mm. And you know, I think, going back to the comedy store, the comedy store players, uh, yeah. to my mind, are, are just second to none. They're phenomenal. Mm. But they came up with this idea called Setlist and it was for stand-ups. Right. And you go on stage, you face the audience and there are two screens in the room, one facing the audience and one facing you. And you just kind of introduce yourself at the start and then pop up comes your first topic, and you have to go into that as if it's a bit of stand-up material. Wow. Right? Now, you can choose either to crowbar in some of your shtick, if you want, or you can treat it the way it's meant to be treated and just go into it yeah. and buy into it. Yeah. And that was absolutely terrifying. And the first time I did that, I got a flashback to that 19th of May, 1988, <laughs> you know, when Pete McCarthy introduced me and I walked on and it was... Yeah. Terrifying, Completely out of your comfort zone. Totally. Um, And, uh, you know, you you will have a, I would say, with set list, and I've done it maybe a dozen times, and I've done it at Edinburgh, I've done it at Melbourne, at the Comedy Festival there, and I did it in LA. Mm. Uh, That was the last time I did it, in 2015. And when I do it at the Edinburgh Fringe, you've got a bit of a reputation, and I would say a number of the people in the audience will know you. But in Los Angeles... (laughs) nobody had any idea who this guy was, and I absolutely loved it. I loved it. Yeah, because if you
0: hit it, if you get it, you know, you suddenly, from off the top of your head, come up with something that makes people laugh. That must be joyous. Correct.
1: Yeah. It is, I mean, and it is the essence of what we do is is creating, and I I don't think I've ever been more creative than having been put on the spot like that. Mm.
0: I think I'd be better at that than I would be at actually rehearsing and performing a stand-up routine. <laughs> I'd feel more willing to have a go at that than actually, oh, God, here's the 10 minutes yeah. i practice because I don't have any faith in that at all.
1: But you see that, I mean, what you do, I, I, I am useless at remembering... Lines. Right. So that's why I could I could never be an actor. Or if I did, it would have to be in a sort of three-line play. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's about the most that I could remember. And the things when I'm trying to remember... You know, doing pieces to camera for, you know, as I, I've done sort of travelogues and uh, that kind of stuff, doing a 100-word piece to camera, I just look absolutely rabbit in the headline. <laughs> uh, <yeah>, I'm just <laughs> desperately trying to remember what the words were, you know, I, yeah. I would need full-time auto script.
0: Do you remember the first date that you stood up in front of that logo at the comedy store then?
1: I do, yes. Uh, and the the comedy store have been in three locations in in London. Uh, the one just now is Oxenden Street, mm-hmm. between Leicester Square and Piccadilly Circus. Uh, previously, it was in Leicester Square, and that's where I first performed. Yeah. But before that, it was in Dean Street, sort of, in a corner building mm. and uh, that's, I think it was in a, a quasi-strip club mm. in fact it was probably a strip club, I have no idea <laughs> Haven't said the words now, what a quasi-strip club <laughs> would be <laughs> might take my clothes off might, might not, not. <laughs> and um, I I took Aileen when, when we were uh, going out with each other, we went to London for a weekend, pretty early 80s before I'd ever got on stage but while I still knew in my own mind that I wanted to try and give it a go. Yeah. And we went to the, the old, old comedy store where there was a comedian on that night called Barry Diamond who was visiting from America and he shared the same management as the police. So at the table next to <laughs> us was Sting and his new girlfriend, Trudy Styler, which was <laughs> of much more interest to Alien than the acts that were on stage mm. that night. Anyway, but it was in the Leicester Square one when I, I first did uh, I did some stand-up. And it was I was booked to do it through a, a contact that Karen Korn at the Gilded Balloon, who has been a great supporter of mine over the years, mm. she was friends with Kim Kinney, who managed the Comedy Store in those days. Kim had seen me do a five-minute spot, gave me uh, some gigs at the Comedy Store way too early in my career. And... Uh, I did not do terribly well. No. And it was a year or year or so before I got back. Yeah. But, and then uh, it goes right through your career. Yeah. So have you ever done the Comedy Store Players? Never done the Comedy Store Players, although I have gigged with them, mm. uh, but not in the Comedy Store. Yeah. Um, they once did a tour, Mike, uh, where they would bring a guest on from wherever they were and they would talk to you about your life. Yeah. And then they recreated an aspect of your life on stage uh. with you uh, as part of it and uh, I can remember it was it was very funny but it was also very touching as well mm. I mean they're
0: they're, they're really yeah. extraordinary uh-huh. I did do the Comedy Store Players on a couple of occasions oh, did you? Yeah. oh my just god just when they they went well come and have a go Mike and I have to tell you I really was lost the whole time and they're so gentle <laughs> and so kind they sort of uh-huh. pick you up and carry you through it marvellous
1: yeah, and there were people in the audience that think, yeah, yeah, you know, it's all so scripted. They right. couldn't come up with that, but they genuinely do.
0: Mm. Yeah, amazing.
1: Do you know? I think that the brain is a kind of a, a, a muscle in that respect to And I think the the more you do it, the the more capable you are. Definitely, you know? I'm absolutely certain of
0: that. I've uh, the closest I've got to it, really, in practicing it is doing uh, Dame in pantomime. Uh, where uh-huh. you you have a script, you know what you're going to say, and you have your jokes, but you always have to be open to playing with the audience and reacting uh-huh. to what they're doing. And that, when you first do it, you sort of go, "Sorry, sir, what did you say?" And they say, "You say, oh, that's interesting." And then you go back to the script because you're, <laughs> you're
1: terrified. <laughs>
0: Great improv! I'm writing
1: that down as a heckle put down. Oh, that's interesting.
0: <laughs> All right, Fred, I'm going to put the logo from the Comedy Store. You can stand in front of it any time you like, oh. and I'll put a mic there for you to hold. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. So what's your second item?
1: Uh, well, um, I'd like to stick in some sports equipment, if I might. Okay. Um, as a wee boy, uh, I was introduced to skiing. We lived in uh, Blairgowrie, or Rattray, actually. Rattray and Blairgowrie were kind of twinned, like Minneapolis and St Paul's <laughs> <laughs> uh, on a much smaller scale. But uh, we weren't too far away from Glen Shee and I've been a keen skier since the age of 10. Wow. And I've decided that I'd like to put in my, my very first pair of skis, if that's all right. They might be a wee bit big to put in a time capsule, but they were 100% wooden. Really? Yeah, back in the day. And they were second hand. And they were made by a, a company that no longer exists called Hagen, H A G A N. Hagen Combies. Uh do you ski, Mike? Oh, I have skied occasionally, but I'm not very right. good at it. Well, I mean, now they're they're made of various metals and fiberglasses and carbon and all, all the rest and of it. And much shorter. Absolutely. Yeah. Much shorter, yeah. Um I mean the longest skis I ever had were two hundred and five centimeters, and my current skis are are one six eight. Yeah. So what I was doing with the extra thirty odd centimeters, <laughs> I have no idea. You were just going straight, almost impossible <laughs> yes. to turn. That's exactly, and the reason I, I'm going to tell you the, the story of these Hagen Combis, I do because they meant so much to me. Um, we weren't really blessed in Scotland with a what you would call a full snow cover, so there was always a chance you were going to hit either rocks or heather, and you'd be hoping it was the latter, um, <laughs> but it was more often the former. Uh, and the rocks would gouge great holes in the soles of your Hagen combis, and the edges were screw-in, and the bindings were cable bindings. Your ski boots were laced up. You would an inner boot and an outer boot. And if you were wealthy enough to have ski pants, they went inside your boots and <laughs> um, and what I had were a, a pair of denims that my mum had put a bit of elastic along the bottom yeah uh, so they didn't they didn't ping up out of the boots and Goodness knows how I survived to the age I am because I was probably hypothermic yeah. twice every weekend, but I loved it. And my father, bless him, who was a police officer and mum wasn't working in those days, so we weren't there wasn't a great deal of cash flying about. So with my second hand Hagens, I would go home after two days skiing. Dad would screw in new edges, he would use a sort of plastic wood thing that he had bought to fill in the holes, <laughs> and then every week painted the soles of the skis with a car paint that he had. (laughs) And then once that had dried, he would wax them and they'd be dried out and ready just to get destroyed again the next weekend. Wow, what dedication. I know, it was fantastic, you know, it really was. And uh, an old pal uh, recently sent me a photograph of myself and him and another buddy standing at Glen Glenshee. And I think it might have been the second season that I skied, so I would have been 11 Mm and uh, it really is a, it is an historic photo i mean it's it's <laughs> over 50 years ago and it's all not quite the birth of skiing in Scotland but it was within the first decade of there being uplift in Scotland for for skiers um and it just looks like one of these old black and white photos you would see maybe in a <laughs> A lodge <laughs> in some place in... Where <laughs> are they now? In the Austrian Alps, yeah. yeah. So that's I if, I if I can, not stick in either my skis or... The other sport that we were in the habit of playing up in Perthshire in Scotland, of course, was golf, which Mm. was a much more working-class game. And as I said, there wasn't a great deal of money flying about. And my first, and I use the word inadvisedly, set of golf clubs, uh, it was just a random, uh, they were all wooden shafted, but uh, somebody had handed into the police station at Blairgowrie a lady's seven iron that had a steel shaft and it wasn't claimed within six months, so my dad stuck that in my bag. (laughs) And the boys that I was playing with all had steel-shafted clubs. It was surprising to me just how often I would look at the pen and think, well, that's a (laughs) 7-iron. That'll be the one. It's a 7-iron from here. (laughs) I could hit a 7-iron anything from 50 to 170 yards. (laughs) (laughs) Both of those things, Mike, are a, a reminder of... Kind of where I've come from, yeah. Um, you know, growing up in Perthshire was uh, idyllic. Mm. You know, various towns and villages because we had to move about because Dad was a, a cop. Places like Callender and Killin, Killins at the the end of Loch Tay, uh, where it's the the River Tay is famous in Scotland as a as a fishing mm. river, but the Loch is filled from the the waters of the the River Dochart. Right. And then you've got the lock, and then out of the lock at the Kenmore end comes the Tay, the Tay, the Silvery Tay, which McGonagall wrote about. <laughs> and uh, Did you ever get to fish on the Tay, or, or was everything private? Well, there's a lot of private beats, mm. there's no doubt about that. But yeah, I, I did fish in the Tay <laughs> as a youth and caught flounders right. and eels. Yeah. But never never a salmon. Never a and, salmon. And no. in those days, my God, Mike, I, I don't know if you fish, but in those days, the number of salmon that they pulled out of the River Tay in the 60s and 70s, I mean, it's tens of thousands, and it's pretty much all gone, sadly. Yeah. But, yeah.
0: So did you have to move school a lot when you were young then?
1: Yeah. Oh. So I, I was educated at four schools. So I started off at Killin Primary. Yeah. Then Rattray Primary, Blairgowrie High School... And then Perth Academy, and Perth Academy was a great school, still is. And I had I, I had the Latin we, we, <laughs> at, at Blairgowrie High School. I'd I'd been put into the the top stream, so we were deemed smart enough to learn the Latin. <laughs> and so when we moved into to Perth, and the police houses were in housing schemes, right? So we were yeah, in yeah. A, a housing scheme in Schoon. And every other boy and girl in our, our scheme. Oh, excuse me. That's right. Hello? Oh, hi, Gran. <laughs> Isn't it just... If you hang on. I'm just on a, another call just now, but I'll give Aileen a shout. See if she can... Hello. <laughs> She's actually Okay. Thanks, Gran. Bye. <laughs> And we're
0: back. So that was grand.
1: That was grand. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just, phoning just in. asking yeah, how to yeah. work the iPad. <laughs> <laughs> so she's uh, she's a great old girl. She's uh, she's the only relative of that generation that we've got left. So, so in did you
0: ninety-one. Did, did you
1: say she was? Yeah, wow. ninety-one. Yeah, still driving too. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, where were we? We were uh, the housing scheme. Yeah, the housing uh, so, scheme for the police yeah. homes.
0: I remember there was always one yeah. of those, always on the estates,
1: weren't they? That's right. Yeah. So uh, every other boy and girl in the estate went to Perth High School. Mm. And I I had to go to the academy because I had this, the Latin. <laughs> and, and uh went to get a bus in from Schoon into Perth. So I used to stand at the bus stop every morning uh, being abused by everybody else who was going to the different school, because, you know, clearly if you went to a different school, you were different. So, (laughs) you know, I overcame that and I became friends with the guys and, you know, they became my playmates and all the rest of it.
0: You could always just put them down by quoting some Latin at them. They wouldn't have the faintest (laughs) idea. I'm sorry, I'm just being ad hoc. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you imagine the beatings? Yeah, I can indeed. <laughs> well, lovely. I mean, those skis, you must have inherited them from somebody pre-war, really.
1: Yeah, it would have been. And there was a, a family in know There was a few people uh, used to go skiing, and I always admired the, the equipment that they had, right? Because yeah. I, you know, step in bindings. Oh my goodness. None of this leaning forward and getting the cables up the back of your boots and pushing them forward and locking <laughs> them in. None of that. You just stepped and clicked into them. So I remember distinctly every new piece of ski equipment I got over the, over the years, Mike, you know, from yeah. clip up boots, yeah. and step in bindings and then, My Blizzard alu glass skis Mm. and all the rest of it. And after university, I worked for the for a chairlift company. I worked for the Cairngorm Chairlift Company for three years as the assistant accountant. (laughs) Um, So you got free passes. Free passes, and you could ski in your lunch hour. Tremendous. Brilliant. And it also gave me one of my very early gags. I, I used to say, uh, before I became a comedian, I was an accountant. I said, in fact, I was the second highest paid accountant in Scotland because my office was at 2,100 feet.
0: There <laughs> we are. Yeah. Yeah. That was as
1: good a laugh as it ever got, I'll tell you.
0: <laughs> yes, we see what you did there. That's that, was that yeah, sort of reaction, yeah. the nodding reaction to yeah. a joke. I yeah. Know. It's not good, is it? No, well, uh, I've been skiing in uh, in uh-huh. Scotland. In Scotland,
1: right? Whereabouts? Well,
0: we went to Fort William, right? Uh-huh. I went because my son, when he was about thirteen, he was having a tough time at school, and I said to him, "Well, come on, let's go away. Let's have a, have a long weekend away, half term or something. Just you and me. We're going to have a lad's weekend away. Where do you want to go?" And I was thinking, you know, Rome, maybe, <laughs> Nice, uh-huh. uh, and he said, "I've never been to Scotland." And I said, I know, but it's it's winter. He said, Well, can we go uh-huh. skiing in Scotland? And I went, Okay. And we went to Fort William and God it was freezing. And it uh-huh. it was so icy, because he also, being thirteen, wanted to snowboard. Of course. Which if you're gonna do it for the very first time, you don't want to do it on basically sheet ice. <laughs> so it was a disaster. And in fact, we flew into Edinburgh mm-hmm. and then got a hire car, and the landing was so awful, it's the worst landing in an aeroplane I've ever had. We were terrified, and I was trying to not look terrified. And I think for my sake, he was trying not to look terrified. And then uh, just before we were due to come back, I said, so we'll, we've got two more days, and then we're going to have to go and get the uh, the plane. And, of course, he froze in terror at uh-huh. the thought of it. And I said, or um, we could leave now and drive all the way home. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah let's do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. let's do that. <laughs> so
1: we did. <laughs> And the hire company's been chasing you for the car ever since. They'll never get it back.
0: They think I'm in Scotland.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I use the name Fred McCauley, that's why, don't worry. (laughs) I did a tour about five years ago and um, included Fort William Mm -hmm. on the list of towns that I was going to go and see. And it's a pretty godforsaken place. And uh, I was getting some physiotherapy at the time. And I was in getting physio in the morning and the physiotherapist, a a lovely girl, said, where are you off to uh, on your tour? I said, well, I'm in Fort William tonight. She said, oh, well, you'll get a shag or a fight. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe both.
0: (laughs) Oh, brilliant. All right. Well, Fred, I'm going to take those lovely wooden skis. I'm going to make sure your dad's made them, you know, look new. Ah. a coating of paint and new edges. Right. And uh, we'll put them in there. They're ready for you. Excellent. You can relive your childhood skiing enjoyment.
1: Yeah. Well, it will be back to plow and those things. Uh,
0: so that's two items. So what's your third item? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. OK, let's get straight back to Fred Macaulay and find out what his third item for the time capsule is.
1: OK, well, the third its maybe a continuation of uh, who I am and where I've come from. Mm. But this is actually, and, and it's it's a framed thing of my family tree. Right. So I am the fourth Frederick Macaulay from a line of Macaulays. And the, the family tree always does seem to be a a father-to-son thing, you know, That's there, there is one line that you go up with the family tree. And my father had decided as the third Fred that he wasn't going to have Frederick as a son because with his father being Fred, my dad was always referred to as wee Fred. Ah. And he hated being wee Fred and he wasn't going to make anybody else go through their life as a wee Fred.
0: Your dad is a very thoughtful man, isn't he? He spends the whole time he repairing your he skis. Is. And and then he thinks I'm not going to put him through the torture I've had. I like your dad.
1: He was a great guy. Um, And so I've got an elder brother and he's called Duncan. Right. So the the chain was broken. Yeah. Uh, And then rather sadly, just a few weeks before I was born, my grandfather passed away. Right. And they had a change of heart and a change of mind. And they decided that... I would be christened Frederick Macaulay. Mm. But rather than taking part of the name and calling me Fred, they took the other part of the name, and I was known for the first 13, 14 years of my life as Derek. (laughs) Fred (laughs) Derek.
0: I was hoping it was just going to be Rick, but Derek.
1: Rick. (laughs) Rick! (laughs) Uh, But no, Derek. So I was Derek Macaulay until I went to to Perth Academy, uh, Mm. and I went there after Easter break so I had one term at Perth Academy as Derek McCauley and then the the class lists went up for third year and our class captain an old, old pal and sadly he's no longer with us Kenny McCluskey said right, here we go 3-1 and he went through all the names 3-2 and F McCauley who's F McCauley? (laughs) I said "Uh, that's me he said I thought your name was Derek (laughs) I said no, it's Frederick he went right, lads He's not called Derek, he's called Fred. And that was... That was it. My name was changed. That was changed by by my pal, Kenny McCluskey. So people before who knew me before I was 13 and family still call me Derek, people subsequently call me Fred. So yeah. anyway, I digress again. So the Macaulay family are from the Outer Hebrides. Mm-hmm. And a, a friend of mine who is a, a GP and very much enjoys looking into people's histories decided she would do my family tree for me. Brilliant. And she went all the way back, and I've got it. And and I'll send you a photo. I'll send you a photo of it, Mike. Do. And the reason I want my family tree in this is to prove something, because the Macaulay's, and this is an interesting story, grandfather Fred was born in Harris in 1885, Mm. and at the age of 30, in 1915, enlisted in the Cameron Highlanders. Wow and went off to fight in the First World War, and got an injury in June, 1916, for which he was hospitalised. Mm. And it was fortunate, in inverted commas, that that happened because his entire battalion was wiped out at the Somme, yeah. when my grandfather was in hospital, mm. right? 800 men. And when grandpa came out of uh, hospital, he was moved from the uh, Cameron Highlanders into the king's own Scottish borderers. Right. So here was this wee Highlander yeah. whose first language was Gaelic. God. Trying to take commands from somebody that was brought up in Selkirk or yeah. Melrose or someplace like that. I don't think they understood a bloody word they said to each other, but anyway.
0: And all his compatriots were gone, basically.
1: All gone. Incredible. The whole, every damned man.
0: Mm. Marching behind the pipes.
1: Yeah. I mean, they their fighting dress was a kilt, oh. right? I mean, they, they would... I mean, astonishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd love to know more about that period of my, my grandfather's life. Yeah. So he uh, he was in Harris, and he lived in Harris because his father was a gamekeeper on Avonsui Estate. Mm-hmm. And he moved there as a keeper, but before him, the, the Macaulays were from Lewis. Right. As was a certain 45th president of the United States' (laughs) mother, a Mary McLeod. Oh. From Stornoway. Mary McLeod's mother was a Macaulay. No. Yes. And the reason I want my family tree in is because even on a small island like Lewis and Harris, there were sufficient Macaulays that I am no relation to Donald John Trump. (laughs) And I want that recorded as a matter of fact for time immemorial. You want absolute proof out there. Absolutely, there is no. And as you as you can see, Mike, <laughs> I'm, I'm somebody that is proudly bald and yeah. uh, would not, under any circumstances, do to the top of my head what that man has done to his. I mean, he's he's culpable of many misdemeanors, but I think that's probably up there in the top three. Well, I can understand your
0: desire not to be associated with the man.
1: <laughs> so that's a simple one. That's that's the family tree. It's really to, to lovely. That the...
0: So after the war, when he came back, yes, did he then move
1: down to the borders? Well, no, he 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 didn't. He came back and um, he settled in Glasgow mm. originally. And he survived the war. He, he he had another injury at another point. He was hospitalised again, but uh, he he survived the war. Obviously, he survived the war. And he came back, and I don't know the the timeline, but he got a job as a gardener in Glasgow, mm. in one of the, the big parks in Glasgow. Uh, and I know he was in Glasgow for at least six months. And then he moved up to Perth. Mm. But whether he was up and down to the islands then or not, I don't know. No. But as you know, the islands in Scotland were devastated. I mean, the, the, the number of casualties at, at the war were horrific. Mm. So what that then meant was that there were a number of young lassies on Harris and Lewis with no prospect of finding a, a partner. No. So when my grandfather settled in Perth, three of his sisters came down and, uh, by all accounts, they were bonnie girls and... Two of them managed to, to pick up a husband, hmm. one of whom was a senior salesman for Dewar's Whiskey. <laughs> Perfect. Aye. And the other one uh, had a hotel in Perth. Oh, my. Uh, called the Waverley, which is.
0: Uh, I, I think all hotels in Scotland are called the Waverley, aren't they? <laughs> That's
1: right. <laughs> <natural. laughs> yes. <laughs> it was like the Premier Inn of his <laughs> yeah. day. Yeah. And so. Grandpa Macaulay, um, so whether he was getting his whiskey from one Mm. brother-in-law or not, I don't know, but he he certainly, according to my dad, enjoyed more than a wee dram. Um, And when my dad died uh, a number of years ago, I had the occasion for the first time in my life to look at my dad's birth certificate. And my grandfather's occupation at the time of my father's birth was hotel boots, Oh, what's that? That was the job. Looking after the boots? Exactly. He worked the night shift, Mike. Yeah. And the the commercial travellers that occupied the hotels in those days left their shoes and boots outside their rooms and they would be there sparkling clean in the morning. Yeah. And that was Grandpa Fred's job. Uh, He did that and he was a hotel porter. And then, as I say, he he had a fondness for for the dram. Mm. And... uh, Consequently, because of that, my dad, who had obtained a bursary to go to Perth Academy himself back in the day when it was that kind of a school, had to leave at the age of 14 to go and get a job to kind yeah. of bring in a secure income for the family. Common story
0: amongst uh, amongst working-class boys, isn't it? Isn't it? And I certainly fear that it may well be one that's coming around again.
1: Yeah, and whether it was to prove a point or not, I don't know, but Dad um, went as a mature... Uh, police, I think he was a police sergeant yeah. at the time, uh, to night school when we, we lived in Blair Gowry and picked up a couple of hires, A levels, as you would say. Yeah, yeah. you know, they're not quite the equivalent, but they're. And he, he got straight A's yeah. in his hires when he yes. sat them as a mature. He was a smart guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. my dad was the same. My dad uh, was uh, left school at 14, but then after the war, he went to night school and became a solicitor. Brilliant. Brilliant. There we are. I went for a walk the other day with my son and my grandchildren, and we walked to a little village near me. And we went through the graveyard, and there was a military cemetery with the names of all the people from uh-huh. the village who died in the First World War or the Second World War. And, of course, you know, about 10 people died from the Second World War, but about 150 died from this tiny village. And as you went down it, that awful thing of seeing the same name Oh, five times at one point.
1: Yeah.
0: Five times. Yeah. Five sons, all killed. Absolutely terrible. Horrible. Yeah. It's extraordinary. And I don't know if you've ever read, there's a book by a man called John Keegan about the First World War. And there's a graph in it Uh, It's a seismic graph. So it shows the activity of the guns up until 11 o'clock on the 11th of November, Uh Armistice Day. Uh And this graph, the guns keep going right up until 11 o'clock and then they stop dead. And then there are two tiny little bips after it. And in the explanation for these bips, it turns out that one was a soldier letting off his firearm in celebration of the war being over. And the second is his officer, shooting him dead for disobeying a command.
1: Jeez. Oh, my God.
0: Isn't that terrifying?
1: That is chilling. I mean, that is one of those things that just sends a shiver right down your spine as you hear it. Yes. Yes. Well, and I never really pursued this with my dad, but he told me that, um, and I don't know if my grandfather was part of it, but he told me that my grandfather's regiment, uh, they had to take it in turns to shoot deserters, Ugh. you know the guys that couldn't take it anymore, yeah. and they would just be shot in the field. Oh my god! I mean, it's so mm. brutal. Yeah, absolutely. But also, and I can't, I can't remember the name of it. But there was a terrible shipping disaster at the end of the First World War up in the Outer Hebrides. Right, and I should know the name of it, but you know there was. Uh, Hundreds of men coming home no. from the war, the ones that had survived the war, they'd survived the Spanish flu, and they were within hundreds of yards of Stornoway Harbour, mm. and the ship went down, and they they perished. You know, some of them managed to make it ashore. Uh, just, it's so, a brutal so time. It's a
0: really brutal yeah. period of human history, isn't it?
1: I, I don't think we would have been unique uh, in our family. You know, with our kids, uh, we've got three. Uh, Our youngest, Ian, he came back from Australia just when lockdown happened with his girlfriend. So they were with us. But then my daughter, who's only about six or seven miles away, and my son, other son, Jack, who's through in Edinburgh, 50 miles from our uh, house, door to door. And we've got WhatsApp and Mm -hmm. we've got all these ways of communicating with each other. And lockdown has been something that none of us had ever experienced, and for, for many of us, quite the most extreme thing that we have experienced in our life. Yeah. And then you think, there were people sending off three, four, five of their sons to the First World War Mm -hmm. with no communication whatsoever. No. And they're at war, you know. What must have gone through the parents' minds? Oh.
0: Oh, Terrifying. Unbearable. Yeah. We've got nothing to complain about, really.
1: Yeah. And maybe in another generation, people might not appreciate just how significant that kind of thing was, you know. But
0: Mm. uh, I hope they do. Well, I'm sure they will, actually. I can't see that once you hear about it, it's so extraordinary that it stays with you, doesn't it? Yeah. Through your life, I think. Yeah, well, we're going to take that family tree, Fred, and stick it in there. Good. First of all, most importantly, to remember your granddad. (laughs) But secondly, to prove that you are nothing to do with that awful man. Whose name cannot be said. Yeah, It cannot be said. (laughs) We can't say that name. No, not on my podcast. Thank you. Okay, lovely. So that's that's three things. Yeah. yeah. Well we've only been talking for twelve hours. That's
1: good. <laughs> well I can tell you that the next one is not going to take very long at all.
0: No, I don't mind, you know, if you've no. got the time I have, but I'm sure you think you've good. got other things to do.
1: <laughs> you think? Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, Fred, what's your fourth item? Cadbury's buttons. <laughs> And what's your fifth item?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Cadbury's buttons, open brackets, giant close brackets, if you don't mind.
0: <laughs> I don't mind at all.
1: I love a milk chocolate. I really do. Um, they're not good for the cholesterol, so they're an absolute treat. Yeah. And I uh, Cadbury's milk chocolate is as sophisticated as I get. I'm, I'm, I've <laughs> never been one for Bourneville. Um, <laughs> I have a sweet tooth. So, there they are. And, uh, I don't, I don't know why it has to be buttons. No. Well, I suppose it's just this proper,
0: simple, bite-size. That's exactly <laughs> right, isn't it? That's what you want Well, you say
1: bite-size. I've been known to open the packet and tip them all in my mouth at once. you <laughs> <laughs> the giant ones. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. yeah, so that's it. Uh,
0: there is a whole world of chocolate out there, though, Fred, isn't there? You know, and uh, yeah. you're not a great experimenter.
1: Um, well, oh, no, no, no. I mean, I've... Uh, I wonder, you know, if you look at the, the confectionery, uh, you know, the, the shelves and shelves <laughs> and shelves that, that, that there are in a supermarket, or as you're approaching to pay for your fuel, yeah. uh, you're always tempted by by something there. Uh, I reckon no, I won't. I won't have strayed too far from a bar of maybe the occasional fruit and nut if I'm yeah. feeling like if I'm feeling healthy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd be five a five-a-day. Oh, no, I bet that'd be a Terry's chocolate orange, my goodness. <laughs> oh, God,
0: you must be so healthy.
1: <laughs> well, I, I once had to write what the Scottish five-a-day was. Um, I think I said Terry's chocolate orange, vodka and orange, <laughs> chips, <laughs> roast potato and baked potato. <laughs> yeah, that's five. <laughs> that's five.
0: Oh, lovely. Well, I mean, with chocolate, I'm, I'm with you on this because people say, oh, look at this chocolate. It's unbelievable. It's a handmade bar of chocolate. (laughs) Incredible. It's 80% cocoa. Oh, wow. (laughs) Have a taste. And you go, Um, yeah, it's not very good, is it? I don't like it. It doesn't taste anything like Cadbury's.
1: (laughs) And now, of course, you get these tubs of heroes and celebrations. Um. They're kind of like palatable quality street (laughs) yes that's right (laughs) number of fillings that i've got in my teeth thanks to (laughs) cadbury's and other sweetie manufacturers i'm going nowhere near a toffee that's 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 like putting your head in a noose it really is yeah i always see those big
0: tins of celebration as basically an attempt to completely destroy the concept of environmentalism (laughs) how many wrapping papers can we get into one item
1: i know i mean if if Cadbury started putting the buttons out in a recyclable packet, then there's no excuse not to eat them.
0: No, no, no! In fact, you'd be doing the world a favour. <laughs> 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 uh, all right, I'm going to put. It'll have to be an endless supply. Yeah, because I don't want to end up with just an empty packet. If you sort of, you know, have a sneak peek inside and yeah. go, "Well, oh, I just have one. I'll just have another one." That's what happens.
1: Yeah. There is no such thing as one Jaffa cake. You know that. <laughs> no, nobody has ever had one Jaffa cake. <laughs> it's true.
0: All right, that's in the time capsule. So that was okay. that was easy. Right. So where are we? We've got one one more. Yeah. We've done chocolate buttons. Yep. We've done your family tree.
1: Yep.
0: We've done your skis.
1: Very skis. And we've
0: also got the sign of the comedy store. Yeah. So that's four things that's that you four. treasure. So what's the thing you want to get rid of?
1: Uh, the Lord's prayer which all through school, certainly secondary school, we had to say three times a week at morning assembly. Yeah. And then once a week, uh, if I was at Sunday school, and I, I didn't go to Sunday school all the time. I, I went to Sunday school as a, a youngster, probably primary age. I wasn't really attentive, I'll be honest, <laughs> but... uh I knew that if you went every Sunday, you got a prize at the end of the year for perfect attendance. Right, uh, and that was more important to me than actually absorbing anything that the minister was trying to tell us. Yeah, but the, the Lord's Prayer, and it was something that, having said that, it was it was done maybe three three times, four times a week. I doubt that I could recite it to you. Really? Yeah, because when it was happening, you know, through school. Morning Assembly, we went to stand. Did, did did you did you stand at Morning Assembly? Always, yeah. yeah. And and all all you really wanted to do was work your way up towards the back of the room till you were mm. sixth year, when morning assembly was huge fun I mean the, <laughs> the rest of the time it was a bit of a chore but it was huge when you were in sixth year it was great fun because yeah
0: when you first started you would be
1: sitting with cross legs yeah at the front <laughs> wouldn't you you it's, didn't even have a seat exactly and you would you would have respect for all your seniors and, and the mm. teachers by the time you are sixth year you you're pretty much jack the lad cock of the north you know it all and it was just as well you were standing because that enabled the pushing somebody into the centre of a circle when somebody had farted uh, all the more easy right? <laughs> seeing whose turn it had been to go in to the assembly hall beforehand and fill the piano with hymn books so that when the music teacher started to strike up something <laughs> it was just a series of bum notes it was good fun and I, I didn't really it, it was the language of the Lord's Prayer that I never really it was you know our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name it's a funny name isn't it yeah, but, yeah. and and uh, I didn't know too much, you know, at that age, much about debts and debtors. And I'll be honest, even as an accountant, I didn't know an awful lot more (laughs) about debtors.
0: And there's such a large area of it that seems to be about private land. Yeah. Because people trespassing.
1: I see. That was an English thing. We didn't have trespassing. Ah. I think it's because there's a a right of way in Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, that is an English thing. God, God's on your side. You do. You not have those that trespass yeah. against you in Scotland.
0: I always remember as a child interpreting it that way, though. You know, uh, uh-huh. forgive us our trespasses, uh-huh. and those who trespass against us.
1: Uh, well, we forgive us our debts, ah. as we forgive our debtors. Really, uh, and thy kingdom come. Thine will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, uh, I guess it was maybe a test just to see if you were you know of an inquisitive mind and whether you were going to buy into religion or not and it and it yeah. passed me by uh, so maybe it's not just the lord's prayer it's maybe all religion that i'm going to leave behind uh, <laughs> and it's it's somewhere that i've looked looked for uh, for comedy uh, over the years as well and i'm going to tell you a wee story about it i wrote a routine last year thinking about you know, the the meek shall inherit the earth. Mm. And I was thinking, well, I don't know that the meek probably want to inherit the earth anymore because, (laughs) one, it'd be a hell of an inheritance tax bill. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing was that I thought maybe the meek would have had the earth by now. Yeah. And if the meek haven't got the earth, are they going to be pissed off, right? And then I was thinking... If there's a bunch of people you don't want to piss off, it's the meek.
0: <laughs> right? When they turn.
1: Oh, I know. Can you imagine? Oh. oh. Um, so I thought, well, there's a kernel of something here, right? So, Very nice. That yeah. was, and I had another couple of lines like that. And I thought, well, and this is how stand-up works. Yeah. Uh, you maybe You have an idea... And, you know, I've never been one that's had a something fully formed before I've gone on stage. I've had the idea, I've had notes, I've had lines written down. And I took to the stage uh, at the stand in Glasgow with this, thinking, here's a new routine in the the making. (laughs) I have never seen so many blank faces in my life. Really? Because none of these people have been to Sunday school. None of them Ah. have studied the Bible at all. And I said... Do you know who the meek
0: are? No. Who are the meek? So, has the world changed then? Do people not constantly say the Lord's Prayer when they're children? I guess not. I don't
1: know. I guess, you know, but in a multicultural society, especially here in the west of Scotland, Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't know how much of.
0: I'm not objecting to it, Fred. You know, I'm not saying that they should do. I'm just saying, you know, it surprises Um. me. Yeah, no. The thing that really annoys me about the Lord's Prayer and always has uh-huh. is that nobody ever—and this will be the actor in me coming out from a very early age—nobody ever follows the punctuation in it. So the pauses in it are that are like somebody doing bad poetry. <laughs> <Yes. clears throat> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Yeah. No, Thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven.
1: That's brilliant. Well observed.
0: When I do go to church occasionally, uh-huh. and we have to do the Lord's prayer, I will always join those things up. Do you? Yeah, That <laughs> will be done on
1: earth as it is in heaven. It's a comma after on earth. The rest of the congregation going, oh aye, the actors then bloody there actors, there he is. Fenton Stevens with this, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what they do. The other thing I'd <laughs> thought about was, um, do you remember? Cool Shiloh's Shady Rill. I don't know. There was a hymn by Cool Shiloh's Shady Rill. And I was thinking, who, who is this guy Shiloh? <laughs> and he's cool, right? I mean, yeah. how cool is he? He's not just got a <laughs> rill, he's got a Shady Rill. Yeah, this guy, this guy's worth checking out. Now <laughs> <laughs> we've all got a reel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shady. Uh, but and, and I've, I, I don't know whether it's a place or a person or or what. But no, uh, it's one yeah. of those things that's stuck in my mind over the years.
0: But at the same time, when things are modernized and taken out of the sort of St James Bible or whatever, mm-hmm. it, or the King James Bible, King James, yeah, King, not Saint James. I don't think he was beatified. No. Um, mm-hmm. So, when they are done, then they're shit, aren't they? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Have you done a modern translation of this, Mike? Have you? Uh, You should do. Yeah, that's true. This is your stand-up debut that you've been thinking about doing. <laughs> right, me going through the Bible. And Come to Glasgow and do, do some biblical stuff. I'll, I'll do a lot of stuff about the meek. They love it up there.
0: It goes down really well.
1: <laughs> Damn you, Macaulay! I'll be at the back with all my comedy chums going, wait, you see this? This is it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hook, line and sinker
0: yeah making a note of the one joke that does work <laughs> you bastard yeah oh fred that's fantastic okay well i'm going to put the lord's prayer and possibly all religion yeah. into the time capsule all right and we'll seal it up so that's it thank you so much for talking to me about the things that you treasure and the one thing that you yeah. want to get rid of it's been really great
1: an absolute pleasure mike it's great to talk to you
0: You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Fred McCauley. You can listen to this episode again, if you want to, and all other episodes by subscribing to this podcast on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you want more information about past and future episodes, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You just search My Time Capsule. If you have the time, we'd love it if you would rate the podcast and leave a small review. Thank you very much. This podcast was produced by John Fenton Stevens, and the music is by Pass the Peas Music. It was a cast-off production. So, until next time, I'm off to dig out my skis. I used to be quite good at skiing when I first started. Sadly, it's all been downhill since then. Yes, I know, they can't all be gems. What do you want, blood? Honestly. Bye.